Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, as we now turn to your word, um, would you meet us by the power of your spirit and help us to know what does it mean to walk by the spirit? Lord, would you open our eyes to see you And as I just say, uh, what's in your word, God, would you um, not let your word return void, but would you comfort us and convict us and make us more like Jesus as we walk in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is a joy to once again be standing here and preaching uh, one more time before Dave returns from his sabbatical next week. So that's exciting, Um, and it's my privilege to be able to preach out of this passage today. So just to review, maybe you're new here, maybe you don't know what we've been doing this summer. We've been doing a a four-week series, a sermon series on how are we sanctified. So we talk about sanctification a lot, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. How does that happen? We just wanted to get intensely practical Uh, and talk about the nuts and bolts of what happens in our sanctification. So Bruce started us off a few weeks ago by calling us to behold the glory of Christ from 2 Corinthians 3. We behold his beauty and we're transformed from one degree of likeness to another. And then Haddon, uh, Pastor Haddon at Good News Church in Egan, he came and talked to us about abiding in Christ from John chapter 15. And then last week, Uh, Pastor Nathan, he talked about when sanctification is hard, right? Resisting the temptations of the world and then when we come under the discipline of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 12. So so hopefully you've begun to see from these passages that God really, really cares about our fight against sin, right? He cares about our holiness. It's important to him. He's told us, a lot in his word about how we're changed. Behold his glory and be changed. Abide in Jesus Christ and be changed. God disciplines us so that we're changed. And today, we're going to look at one of my favorite passages, Galatians 5, where Paul has a simple command for us. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So in order to set up this passage... I want to just give a quick reminder of what sanctification actually is. The other guys that have preached before me have, have talked about it in similar ways, but here's my working definition of what is sanctification. <clears throat> sanctification is a work of God and man in which we are set apart as holy and progress in fighting sin and living a holy life. So let me say that just one more time. Sanctification is a work of God and man in which we are set apart as holy and progress in fighting sin and living a holy life. Now, notice a couple things about that that definition of sanctification. First, it's a work of God and man. Now, I want to clarify what I mean there. Make no mistake, it is only God who makes us holy. All right? It's only God who makes us holy. We can't do that ourselves. We can't make ourselves holy in any sense. We can't make ourselves righteous before God, which is our justification. We can't do that. 
And we can't make ourselves pure in heart in order to fight temptation, which is our sanctification. We can't do that in our own strength. However, what we're going to see today is that there is a part that we play in our sanctification. In other words, there are things that we see in the Bible that God calls us to do and God works through those things, his appointed means of grace in order to help us progress in holiness. So that's our part. And we're going to talk more about that as we go along. And then also notice, in that definition that I gave of sanctification, there's a sense in which we are already sanctified. And there's a sense where we are progressively becoming sanctified. So the Bible talks about both of those aspects of sanctification. So consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. This is what it says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. All right, so if you've ever read Corinthians, you know that they're kind of messed up, right? They're sinful, right? There's a lot of sin that's going on even within those, in that church. And God calls them sanctified. So in other words, they've been set apart as holy through their union with Christ. When you trust Christ, who are you at your most fundamental level? Sinner or holy? Someone, someone answer. Holy. You are holy. You are set apart. So in a very important sense, the rest of your life after you trust Jesus is the process of becoming who you already are. Right? That's, what, that's a good way to talk about sanctification. You're becoming progressively more and more who you already are in Jesus Christ. You are holy, so live as holy. So here's the logic of the Bible. If you're already sanctified in Christ, will you then make progress in holy living in this life? Yes. Yes, you will. So here's how, here's how Hebrews 10.14 talks about both of these aspects. He, he talks about both of these aspects of sanctification in one verse. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So do you see that? He has perfected for all time, sanctified, those who are being sanctified. By his blood, we've been made holy for all time. That's your identity in Christ. And we're being sanctified, progressively purified in our hearts so that we desire sin less and desire God more and have increasing victory in fighting temptation. So we return to then to the original question. How? How do we make progress? How do you live a holy life? How do you fight sin and live as consecrated and set apart for the Lord? And the answer that we see in our passage today is walk by the Spirit. So let's dive in. Point number one, the command, walk by the Spirit. So look at verses 16 and 17 with me. We're going to just kind of walk verse by verse through this passage. Verses 16 and 17 of Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there it is. Walk. So that's, that's an imperative command, all right? That's a command. It's something that we're supposed to do. Walk. But notice how we're called to walk. Walk in your own strength? No. Walk by righteous works, by works of the law? No. That's actually why Paul is writing the letter to Galatians in the first place. There are those who are insisting that the work of circumcision is necessary for justification, right? So it's grace plus works. And Paul is saying, no, (laughs) neither our justification or our sanctification is based on walking by works of the law. We'll get back to that in a minute. So then, how are we supposed to walk? By the Spirit. By the Spirit of God. So remember our definition of sanctification, the work of God and of man. So our part, we're called to walk by the Spirit. And when we do that, Paul says that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you see that right there? This is how sanctification works. It's a a conditional statement. It's if then. If you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Which means, logically, flip it around, what happens if you don't walk by the Spirit? You're sunk, right? You'll have no power against the desires of the flesh, and you will gratify them. You'll bear the fruit of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul, he's he's not naive here. He knows that even in the life of a Christian who has been saved by grace through faith, there are still desires at war within our hearts that would lead us astray, that would lead us away from holiness and lead us towards sin. So verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to keep to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. (laughs) We all have the desires of the flesh that still crop up in our hearts. And if you're saved, if you're in Christ, you also have the desires of the spirit that are alive and working in your heart. And they're battling within us. You feel it, right? I feel it. I feel that battle. Literally, in the, in the Greek here, the verse says that the flesh desires against the spirit and the spirit desires against the flesh. It's a war. These sinful desires keep us from doing what we want to do. So this is the fight of faith that we fight daily. I feel it. I feel the fight. Do you feel the fight? You wake up, and the world and Satan, they're right there screaming at you to look away from Christ and to follow a hundred different desires of the flesh within you that are coming from within your own heart that are opposed to your holiness in Christ. And so what do these desires of the flesh look like? Well, look at verses 19 to 21. We'll come back to verse 18 in a minute. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, this is interesting, Paul has switched from talking about the desires of the flesh to the works of the flesh. You see that right there? In other words, the desires of the flesh lead to the fruit of the flesh, sinful works. This is a warning to all of us that if we don't fight our sinful desires in the proper way, if we just give in, we will bear sinful fruit, which leads to eternal condemnation. And these works of the flesh, they can be exterior actions like drunkenness and sorcery and rivalries and things like that, or they can be interior actions in our minds and in our hearts, like lust and envy and jealousy and enmity, things like those. And Paul is really clear here. The stakes are really high. (laughs) Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. God really cares about our fight against sin. So the picture is that we all have sinful desires of the flesh that crop up within us. And if they're not fought, they will lead to sin, which separates us from God. So we return to the command, walk by the spirit And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul contrasts the works or the fruit of the flesh with the works or the fruit of the spirit that is alive in a work within us. Look at verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Friends, this is what sanctification looks like. Fighting the desires of the flesh, putting to death the works of the flesh, and increasingly and progressively displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And how do we do that? Walk by the Spirit. Now, this is so important because we're prone to get this wrong. We say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. Got it. Walk by the Spirit. And then we try to white-knuckle it. Right? In our own power, walk in our own strength, rely on our own righteous works to make us fight our sinful desires and to be more like Christ. We're prone to do that. And I'm here to tell you that just isn't going to work. It's not. It's not going to work. You don't have the strength. Don't walk in your strength. Don't walk by righteous works. Don't walk by works of the law. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. All right, so remember verse 18 that we skipped over. We just skipped over verse 18. Let's go back to it. It says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then again, at the end of verse 23, that we just read, he says, against such things, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. So Paul is contrasting over and over again the work of the Spirit in our lives over and against the work of the law. Think about, one more time, why is Paul writing the book of Galatians? There are those who are insisting that justification isn't by grace alone, but by grace plus works, right? Not grace alone, grace plus. Grace plus our own works, Adherence to the law is what they're saying is still necessary for justification. And Paul says, 
That's a different gospel, <laughs> right? It won't work. The law isn't going to work for your justification, your right standing before God, and it isn't going to work for your sanctification. So he says in chapter 5, verse 1, right, the, the part that comes before our passage, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Freedom from what? The yoke of slavery to the law. Free not only from earning your righteousness by the law, but also by working in your own strength through good, righteous works of the law to fight your sin. Instead, verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're free from the law. You are free from works of the law. Walk by the Spirit, which will then increasingly display the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So, Keep your, passage, keep your finger in our passage and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, I want us to see how Paul talks about this same principle in Romans 7 verses 4 to 6 because I think it's clarifying for what he means in our passage. <clears throat> so here's Romans 7 verses 4 to 6. Like my, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has ra been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So there's similarities already, right? Dead to the law, bearing fruit, fruit of the Spirit for God. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear the fruit of death. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's the contrast that Paul is making in our passage too. You've been set free from the law, which worked to arouse in you sinful desires. The law aroused sinful desires. You've seen this before, I guarantee it. There's a cookie jar on the counter and your kids walk by it all the time no problem, right? No problem. Until you say, don't take a cookie. And then what do they do? What do they want? What's the only thing that they want? A cookie. <laughs> they want the cookie. That's one of the effects of the law in our hearts, right? You say, don't do something. Walk this way. And our sinful hearts go, oh, okay. <laughs> and then they want the very thing that the law forbids. That's one of the effects of the law in our hearts. And that's about how effective fighting sin by works of the law is for us as well. It's not going to work. Don't strive for holiness by good works or in your own strength by righteous works of the law. Instead, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's Paul's command. You want to fight against the desires of the flesh? You want to avoid the fruit of the flesh that leads to death? Walk by the Spirit and display the fruit of the Spirit in his power. Seems simple enough, right? Or does it? <laughs> so for years, I thought I understood this. I thought I understood what he was talking about. But every time someone would say, Someone said, oh yeah, walk by the Spirit. But like, how do you do that? 
I didn't have a good answer. Okay, walk by the Spirit. Okay, got it. Walk by the Spirit. Okay, walk by the Spirit. How? Like, how do you walk by the Spirit? Thankfully, the Bible gives us answers, which leads us to point number two, the channel waterfalls of the Spirit's grace. So, kids, when you're in the car, you always wear your seatbelt, right? Right? (laughs) Well, you should. If you're in a car accident, what is it that keeps you safe? The seatbelt. Now, will the seatbelt help you if you don't put it on? No. But if you put it on, then the seatbelt does all the work. All you have to do is what? Put it on. Put on the seatbelt. Or think about the picture of a waterfall. So let's say that you've been, kids, you've been playing outside in the sand and in the dirt all day. You've been having tons of fun and you're dirty and you're sweaty and you're hot. And then you go on a hike and you come to a clearing and you see this beautiful stream with this waterfall that's flowing into this beautiful, cool pool of water, right? And all you want to do is cool off and get the dirt off of you. What do you have to do? Stand there and just look at the waterfall? Hmm, it's beautiful. No, you have to walk under the waterfall. And then the waterfall will do all the work. Cleansing you, cooling you off. You don't do the work the waterfall does. You just have to walk into it. This is a picture of our part and God's part in sanctification. There are waterfalls of God's sanctifying, keeping, transforming, encouraging, comforting grace available to us called the spiritual disciplines. These are God's appointed means by which he gives us grace and transforms us and sustains us and comforts us. It's his work by the spirit within us and our job is to humbly and expectantly walk by the Spirit under those waterfalls. That's what we do, all right? The Bible makes this connection for us in several places. So I just want to look at various verses here that show how God means to use these means of grace to sanctify us and to change us if only we will walk under those waterfalls, all right? So first of all, the Word of God. Now, this might sound cliche, right? How many times do we exhort you, read the word, be in the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, hide the word in your hearts? Why do we say that? We aren't telling you to read the Bible as a work, right? A work of the flesh or as a work of the law. No, the word, what is the word of God called in Ephesians chapter six? The sword of what? The spirit, the sword of the spirit. The word of God is the offensive weapon that we have through which the spirit causes us to fight our fleshly desires. How did Jesus fight the devil in the wilderness? The word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus prays for us and says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Your what? Your word is truth, all right? Consider Psalm 
119 verses 9 to 11. You can write all these down and look at them later if you want, or you can just listen to me read them. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You're tempted to sin and you fight back with the word of God that you've stored up in your hearts. You gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the morning in the word. You, you lay hold of his promises that we see in his word, promises for greater pleasure in him, greater reward in following God over and against the lesser pleasures of sin. You gaze upon those things and the spirit of God speaks to your heart and it comes alive and you cling to it for the rest of the day and you fight sin with it and it changes the way that you see things. It changes the way that you see the world in the light of the beauty of Jesus. What if you never spend time gazing upon God in his word. You won't see the world in his light and you'll give in. The word is our main weapon, the main waterfall of grace that the Lord has for us. So don't hear, oh, another guilt trip to go read my Bible. <laughs> this is not a guilt trip. It's simply a truth that you need the word of God like you need to breathe. You need it. Dave always says, I love it when he says this, I can't promise you fireworks every time you open up your Bible, but I can promise you that if you never open it, no change will ever happen. Right? Walk by the Spirit by living in the Word. His Spirit will bear fruit in you through His very Word that He's given to us. Okay, so the Word. Second, prayer. How many of you, you can raise your hands here, how many of you believe that prayer changes things? All right. How much time do we actually spend acting on that belief? Honestly, like that's a real question. We quote this verse all the time, but Hebrews 4.16, right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Literally, that says well-timed help. Find well-timed help. That's grace. There is grace from God tailor-made to your situation available in approaching his throne in humble prayer. Just remember, remember what we just saw in Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Well, right after that, in verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Pray the word. <laughs> pray the word of God. When you read it, take what you're reading, pray it back to God. God, Help me to do this. Help me to apply this to my life. Help me to believe what you're saying here. Help me. The word and prayer go hand in hand in walking by the Spirit. Or how about this? I love this passage. Jude verses 20 and 21. 
Here's what it says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. All right, now consider that verse. How are we supposed to keep, how are you supposed to keep yourself in the love of God? How are you supposed to build yourself up in the holy faith? Because those are the commands there in those verses. Build yourself up in the holy faith, keep yourself in the love of God. How? Praying in the spirit. Right there. This isn't a guilt trip to pray. It's an invitation to the Niagara Falls of sanctifying, keeping faith, building grace into your hearts in talking with our Heavenly Father and just asking him for stuff. Like we don't have to overcomplicate it. He just wants to hear from you. He wants to hear about your need. He wants to hear you ask him for help. Help me. (laughs) Comfort me. Awaken me. I believe. Help my unbelief. You have not because you ask not. Right? So we ask. Or what about Romans 8.26? Tying prayer specifically to the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever just been so overwhelmed that at a loss or in a situation that you just don't even know what to pray? The Spirit intercedes for us. His Spirit gives life and power, and even the very words to our prayers. What a comforting thought. So this is why we pray like four, five, six times in our corporate worship services, right? Different people pray. We pray at different points in the service. It isn't because we're supposed to pray in church, right? We need to walk by God's Spirit. So the Bible says, ask me. It's also... One of the main motivations behind our abide evenings of worship and prayer. The next one is on Wednesday, September 13th, by the way. You should come to that. We get together and we worship and we pray. We take concerted time to pray, to cry out for healing, to cry out for breakthrough, to cry out for more of God. That's what we do. That's walking by the Spirit walking under the waterfall of grace available to us in prayer. All right, so the word, prayer, third, corporate worship. Now that one might seem a little weird to you. Maybe you've never thought about coming together with other believers to worship as a means of grace or like a spiritual discipline type thing, right? But consider these verses, all right? Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What effect does exhorting one another have on our hearts? It keeps us from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It says it right there. Means of grace. Or how about Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25? Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what are we doing on Sunday mornings when we gather together? We're encouraging each other. We're stirring one another up to love and good works. And God says that when we do that, we're working against having an unbelieving, sinful heart. We're working against being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, God says that when we get together and encourage one another and exhort one another, and you see my faith and I see your faith, he uses that by his spirit to help us overcome our sinful desires and stir us up to love and good works. That's one of the effects of corporate worship when we gather together. Or how about this one? This is one of my favorites. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't get drunk, right? Don't be filled and controlled by alcohol. Instead, be filled and controlled by the Spirit, And what does this passage say? How do we do that? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Our singing during corporate worship is a means of grace that God uses us, uses to fill us afresh and anew to change our hearts and bring us under the Spirit's control. Is that how you view what we do here on Sunday mornings? Right? Do you think to yourself, I need corporate worship. I need to gather with my blood-bought family to encourage and exhort one another to sing, not only to God, but to one another in order to be controlled by his spirit. That's what we're doing. Have you ever noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Pastor Daniel, during worship, he's often, when he's singing, looking around, like looking in front of him, beside him, in back of him. He's looking at everybody, right? It's kind of awkward, <laughs> all right? But he's, yeah, but he's doing that because he really takes seriously that we're speaking to one another in our worship as well as to God. So I'm meant to see you worship and you're meant to see me worship And God uses that by his spirit. So I always say I have the best seat in the house when I'm leading worship because I can see all of you. And God encourages me through your worship. That's supposed to happen. That's also another reason that we do our abide evening of worship and prayer, which is happening on September 13th. You should come and linger in worship and prayer with us. Okay? We take this seriously. All right. Last one, and this is going to lead... Straight to the end. (laughs) Communion. Have you ever noticed that during our corporate worship services, we take communion every week? Every single week. Why? Why do we do that? Because there is helping, sanctifying grace at the table as we fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So that word 
In 1 Corinthians 10 there for participation, that literally means fellowship. It's koinonia, the word for fellowship. So the cup is fellowship with Christ in his blood. And the bread is fellowship with Christ in his body. When we walk up and receive the elements, we are coming to really fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we call it the Lord's table. He's with us and present with us in a special way in communion. Now, not physically in the elements. We don't believe that the juice becomes his blood and the bread becomes his body. We don't believe that. But we do believe, along with most Christians throughout church history, that he really is spiritually present with us at the table in order to meet us with sanctifying, helping, preserving grace. So we're going to take communion here in just a few minutes, and that's going to be the main application of this sermon. It will be our tangible declaration enacted in our participation that God wants to meet you at the table with the waterfalls of sanctifying grace by his spirit. Maybe you've never thought about it that way before. But we come to fellowship with our Lord and Savior who is waiting to wash over us by his grace. And just remember, that's only one of the appointed means that God has given us. How do you fight sin? We walk by the spirit. We say no to the desires of the flesh by prayer, by the word, by corporate worship, by communion. There are others that we didn't have time to talk about. Fasting, right? That's a good one. But this is our calling, brothers and sisters. Be a people that walks by the spirit, availing ourselves to God's appointed means of sanctification so that we can be holy and faithful and be like Jesus. This is how you love God and love your neighbors so that you can make disciples. Jump into God's waterfalls of grace. Walk by the Spirit. So let me pray, and then we'll come to the table together. So God, we want to be a people that walks by your Spirit. Lord, we want, to, we want to avail ourselves. We want to do our part in walking under these waterfalls of grace that you have given us, that you use by your spirit to transform and make us holy. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. There are no amount of righteous works that we can walk in that will make us holy. And yet you give us grace and power. Help us to do our part, to walk by the Spirit, to pursue you. We want to be a people of the Word. We want to be a people of prayer. We want to value corporate worship. We want to love coming to your table to eat and drink with you. So as we do that now in a couple minutes, God, we pray that you would meet us in a special way by your Spirit so that we would not walk out of here the same as we were when we walked in. Give us that and even more than we could ask. In Jesus' name, amen.